Welcome to this week's podcast from Oceans Church in Orange County. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. For more information, please visit our website at theoceanschurch.com. We're going to open up our Bibles to the book of Esther today. Uh, and God really has been putting this message on my heart for a couple weeks now, probably almost a month, which is rare that I'm thinking about something in the back of my head. Rochelle is Rochelle is usually my, my favorite study partner because I'll be reading um, what she's praying, and usually when her prayers line up with what I'm reading, I know I'm going to strike some oil. And so she's been telling me, Mark, there's something about Esther, man. There's something about we're in an Esther window of time. And I'm like, babe, are you sure you don't like this book just because she was at the spa for 12 months? I mean, is this why you like this book? Perfumes and I don't know. But I do believe that she's onto something, and uh, I believe it's going to be a great morning. And so, if you have your Bible today, go to, go with me to uh, Esther chapter four. Uh, it's located on page uh, four fifteen. Church jokes. Um, but if you have your Bible today, we're gonna have a good. Who likes to have a good time in church? Just want you to know, if you get bored today, that you're boring. Um, so I'm not a boring preacher. Everyone said amen. We're gonna have a good time. We'll tell a couple jokes. We're gonna enjoy God this morning. Uh, being bored and in a bad mood does not make you a more mature believer. I think that God wants you to enjoy his house. He wants you to enjoy his word. And I believe that you can actually enjoy teaching the Bible. And so I plan on doing that today. One of my favorite things, one of the best advice I ever got was not from a pastor. It was from a comedian. And he said, Mark, if you'll picture yourself in the front row, and if you'll try to keep your own attention while you're speaking, everybody else will stay with you too. So if you don't think this stuff's funny, I do. I think it's funny. I'm trying to make myself laugh this morning. And uh, if you have your Bible, uh, Esther chapter 4, though, we're going to have a good time. If you're brand new to our church, I'm going to read 11 verses. I'm going to pray. I want to talk to you today about being bold and as it pertains to being stars. Say it with me, stars. I'm going to talk to you about being a star for God today. I believe God is looking for stars. And I'm not talking about the ones that you can buy and name after yourself that no one cares about. Uh, are the ones that are on Hollywood Boulevard. I'm going to explain what a star looks like in God's kingdom. But I do believe that God is raising up stars in our day, in our hour. I'll explain that today. So I'm going to read 11 verses. I'm going to pray. After I pray, I'm going to tell a couple stories. Uh, if you laugh, we call them jokes. If you don't laugh, we call you a bad crowd. And uh, I'm just kidding. And uh, we're going we're gonna to have a good time. And I'm going to give you some points. But I want to be very upfront and honest. I like to have fun. But I also, I love the presence of Jesus. I love the Holy Spirit. I love that he heals. I love that he, he, he restores, that he encourages, that he builds people up, that he still speaks to people. And so at the end of this service, my hope would be is that he would show up at these tents and even in your living rooms with signs and wonders following. Is that all right? So that's what we're going to do today. Esther chapter 4, if you're there, say I'm there. This story is really powerful. It's about a, it's about a nobody that becomes a royal somebody in one day. It's in a time period, if you've never read the book of Esther, I encourage you to read it this week. It's only 10 chapters long. And essentially, it takes place in about 487 B.C. It is the grandson of Cyrus the Great by the name of Xerxes. Xerxes is, a, is really, at that time, he's, he's ruling all of Persia. Persia took over the Babylonian Empire. So Persia is the prominent premier power in the earth. He is the most powerful man. Xerxes actually comes from a meeting that means king of kings. And so he is the most prominent power on the earth. And he's married to this beautiful woman by the name of Vashti. Vashti actually 
uh, is a little bit into herself, and they kind of had this, this uh, issue in this party that was going on that he tried to get her to parade her good looks. She didn't want to parade her good looks, so he replaced her as queen, and he actually has a beauty contest. The first Miss, Amer or Miss Persia pageant took place in 487 B.C., and he out of all the women, all the virgins of the land, he actually selected about a 17 or 18-year-old by the name of Hadassah, but, her, but we call her Esther. Yeah. Esther is a queen for five years when an evil man who really embodies the spirit of the Antichrist, of the devil himself, by the name of Haman, not to be mistaken with hangman. Explain that later. <laughs> Haman comes on the scene, and like, like Hitler is the anti-Semitic person who hates Jews and white, wants to wipe Jews off the face of the earth. And basically, when Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, I'm laying a foundation, finds out about this agenda, he comes to his, his niece and says, Esther, you've been put here for this moment. Yes. And, the, and the dialogue we're going to read right now is found in chapter 4, verse 10. So Esther speaks... Uh, to, to Hathak and, and gave a command to Mordecai. This is a servant, her servant. And, and she said to them that all the king's servants must be put out of the king's province. Know that there's one law. Say it with me, law. law. That no man and no woman can go into the king's company into his audience that has not been summoned or called by the king. Yeah. He has but one law. If you do this, you'll be put to death. It is a death sentence. If you come to the king uninvited, Except if the king holds out his golden scepter, you, will, you may live. Yet I myself have not been invited to see the king for the next 30 days. So then they told Mordecai what Esther's words were. Mordecai then answered Esther's servant and said, Do not think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. If this edict order comes to annihilate all Jews, you as queen will be annihilated as well as what he's saying. For if you remain, watch this, if you remain completely silent at this time, watch what he says, relief will come and deliverance will arise to the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet, most famous probably verse in the Old Testament, yet, who knows that whether or not you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this. Esther told the reply to Mordecai, she all right, gather all the Jewish people that you know and present them and fast for me. Don't eat anything. Don't drink anything for three days, three nights. And my, my servants will fast with me likewise. And I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai went his way, did everything that she said to do. Watch two more verses. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put a royal, on the third day she put on royal robes, stood in the inner court of the king's palace, across from the king's house, while the king sat on the royal throne in the royal house, and he was eating his royal, come on, lucky charms. Come on, eat, reading Car and Chariot magazine. Keep going. Facing the entrance of his house. So it was that when the king saw the queen Esther standing outside the courts, that she found, say it with me, favor. favor. Come on, say it like you mean it. Favor. favor. She found favor in his eyes. So it was that when the king saw her, he said to her, he held out his golden scepter, and she touched it. Esther went near and touched the top of it, 
And the king said to her, what do you wish? What is your request, Queen Esther? What if you, what it was your request and I, it will be given to you up to half of my kingdom. I want to talk to you today out of this passage. I'll allude to more of the verses out of the book of Esther by showing hands who has read the book of Esther before you read the book of Esther. Can I give me a wave? So many of you are familiar with the story, but I want to pray real quick and I'll jump into this, but I want to talk to you today about being bold stars. Is that all right? Bold stars. I just pray Lord today that you would come and meet with your people. I lift up everyone that's in this room and everybody that's watching online. I thank you that you are the greatest doctor in the, on the earth that you know what we need before we need it. God, you know how to treat our current issues and you know how to solve issues before they arise. So God, today, would you come Holy Spirit? Would you make your home here? Would you feel welcome in our midst? And would you speak and love your people today, even through this message? God, we love you so much. We bless Oceans Church. We bless Orange County, California, and America. We just pray that you would cover, Lord, all of our leaders. And I just pray in Jesus' name that we'd have an awesome end of this year. We pray you bless the Lakers in Jesus' name. Everybody said, come on, amen. Who believes Lakers are coming all the way? Got a few believers in the tent if you're watching online. I grew up in a different era of time. I'm 36. I look like I'm 35. I'm 36 years old. And I uh, grew up in a different window of history. I'm a millennial. And so uh, the other day, I'm just, I'm baffled. I have a five-year-old daughter. People say, what's she like? My five-year-old Chloe is like a blender that's missing a lid. She's a firecracker, a fireball. She's fireproof. Come on. And uh, she's, a, she's a character, but the other day she was on her iPad. I'm just thinking to myself, my gosh, these kids live in a different window of history. Yeah. I didn't grow up with iPads. I didn't grow up without commercials. Yeah. And I was watching my daughter the other day. She was so entertained. Check this out. She had an iPad out, and she's watching YouTube, and she's watching a YouTuber that literally is a kid a little bit older than her that's opening up toys. I'm like, where have we gone? <laughs> My kid, rather than going outside, doing something fun, she'd rather watch somebody having fun. <laughs> I grew up in a different era of time. Uh, I like to think that the 80s and the 90s was the golden era. Yeah. A few people old enough to know what I'm talking about. I grew up in a different era. It wasn't about entertainment. It was about education. Yeah. Okay. So with me, education. Yeah. I, look, you grew up in my era. You watched The Price is Right. You, look, you equated knowing the value of a peach with maybe winning an RV. There was power in learning. I need to know how much stuff costs. I need to be able to guess the amount of money and groceries I have in my cart. I grew up with shows that, that made a difference and educated people. I'm telling you right now, I watch shows like MacGyver that taught me with a Jeep and a Swiss Army knife I could take over the world. I watched shows that, that gave me faith and hope. Like, like, I never knew that men could love vans until I watched the A-Team. Mr. T taught the world it's okay to be a man and drive a van. I am grateful, man, for the Ninja Turtles that taught me how to value the sewer system. We can't put trash down there. We got to put pizza in the holes. Come on. This, this matters, people. I grew up in an era that, you know, you watch shows like Jeopardy. What did Jeopardy do? Jeopardy reminded you how dumb you were. <laughs> Think you're smart until you watch Jeopardy. That show was ruthless, man. Yeah. I grew up, watch all, listen, we grew up in an era of education. I learned the facts of life, come on, yeah. from the facts of life. <laughs> the Golden Girls gave me some of the greatest wisdom I've ever seen. Yeah. 
I live in a different window of time. And I'm thinking, man, we live today in an era of America's Got Talent and X Factor, and we watch shows like, like, uh, like American Idol and uh, The Voice with Blake Shelton. We like watching all these shows, but before all of these shows were on the scene, there was a show I used to watch growing up called Star Search. Who knows what I'm talking about in here, Star Search. Star Search is responsible for some of the greatest talent we've ever seen in, the, in Hollywood, people like Kevin James. There would be no mall cop without, come on, Star Search. There would be no Beyonce, Drew Carey, Britney Spears, Justin Timberlake, Usher, Martin Lawrence, Dave Chappelle, the list goes on. They were all discovered on a show called Star Search. And I remember watching shows growing up and thinking just, we live in such a, a different window of time. My daughter's watching a show about toys and I watch different shows. We have shows in America today like The Bachelorette. Lord help us. Shows like, like the Miss America pageant, right? And we have, we have all these different shows. And, and so many of these shows are about discovering, narrowing the field down to a selected person. And uh, I, was, I was praying this week, and I couldn't get away from the story of Esther. And you know that Esther was the original bachelorette. Esther was the, one, the original winner of the final rose. Come on. Esther is this favored woman that at the young age of 17 or 18 years old, she wins the Miss Persia pageant. Her whole life changes in one day. This is the original Miss America, Miss, Miss Universe. She is, she is highly favored, highly sought after. And this is the craziest part is she wins the most prominent position in her nation when she is in exile of her own nation. She is actually a Jew in captivity they're in a 2020 pandemic, weird, crazy year as a Jew. And in the weirdest year in their history at that point, she gets promoted to the highest office in the land. She gets promoted to queen, say with me, in one day. How long did it take God to move? Come on. It's amazing how things can change in just one day. I think many times we put too much faith in long periods of time and not enough faith in what God can do in a sovereign moment. What do you mean, man? Things can change in one day. Did you know that you were born in one day? You know that all of us will return to God in one day? Your little favorite humans were born and came into the earth in one day. You get your dream job. Come on, it just takes one day. Marry the woman or the man of your dreams. Come on, in. I'm telling you that God can promote you, elevate you, and use you. It only takes. I wish someone helped me preach a little bit this morning. God can change things problem many times with our North American worldview is we're so intellectual and we're so logic oriented that we underestimate the, the sovereignty of God's power in a moment. You study the Bible, you'll find people that had their entire destinies altered in one day with God. There was a little wealthy guy that worked for the IRS named Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus spent one afternoon with Jesus, one meal. And after one meal with Jesus, he was willing to give away almost all of his wealth to people that he ripped off. Say it with me, one day. I could go on and on about people that had these moments in one day. And I was praying this week, and again, this is the proud thing about Esther. Esther's name literally means star. Did you know that? Esther means star. And I started thinking about how God raises up stars differently than Americans raise up stars. You see, Americans raise up stars from the outside. God raises up stars from the inside. God raises stars like David that didn't look as good as Abinadab and his older brothers that were a little taller, a little bit more defined and cut, did CrossFit a little bit more often. 
But there was something that David said to Samuel. He goes, I don't look on the outside. I look on the inside. And I'm telling you that God is a God that he raises stars and he does it differently than most of us do it today. I believe that God today desires to raise up people that know him, that love him, and that will use their lives to influence the world for Jesus. These are the stars that God is looking for. I was praying that I felt God's heart aching this week for his people that are being led by the blind. I believe right now in America, so much, even of the younger generation, we idolize people that have spiritual blindness. We idolize their music. We idolize their business IQ, their social media platforms. We, we idolize people that are living big on the outside, but living spiritually bankrupt on the inside. My heart was aching, thinking about, man, how Christians today are being more influenced. Their theology is being shaped more by Netflix documentaries than the scriptures. People are actually getting more, more of their wisdom from Wikipedia than the word of God. I'm shocked today that we live in a society that America, we, we, even believers, we value and we worship the most talented, most creative, the most brilliant, the most beautiful people, even if they're godless and misled. There was a new artist that came out this week, great music, gifted musician, but he used to be a worship leader, and this week he produced an album, and one of his songs is about losing basically his faith, and I still pray, but I've lost pretty much my way. And most Christians in America were, were tweeting this week and commenting this week about how amazing it is that he has this song about doing cocaine lines but still praying. And I thought to myself, God, why are we elevating stars that aren't sharing your message? I believe God is looking for people that actually their belief affects their behavior. That their worship of God changes their values of life. I don't believe that knowing Jesus entitles you to having a dysfunctional life. I think one of the things that Jesus offers you is a better way. I feel like preaching this morning. Say it with me, a better way. I don't believe you have to die looking like your past. I don't believe that you have to live addicted to what your mom and dad was addicted to. I believe that God gives you words that no one else in this universe can offer you. You can change. I don't have to die an alcoholic. I don't, have to, I don't have to live captive, as that song said, to these darkness, these dark things that have plagued my family, that I can kill the Goliaths that have taunted my generations. And I want to wage war today on this idea that we have to conform and just settle for what our past generations have settled for. This is the whole story of Esther. Do you know there would probably be no book of Esther if King Saul would have obeyed God? Do you know that King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it says that there was a guy by the name of Agag, a, a king, an enemy of Israel that God said to wipe, wipe off the face of the earth. And King Saul disobeyed God. And because of his disobedience, generations later, someone from his family line by the name of Haman, Haman is a descendant of somebody that King Saul was supposed to deal with. And I believe we live in an Esther generation. Because I believe there are giants that God wanted our grandparents and our great-grandparents to deal with in America that we didn't deal with in the Jesus People movement, that we didn't deal with during Azusa Street. And there was darkness that we let creep into the church that God wanted to get fully dead. And I believe that we are fighting Hamans in the world today because of things that we disobeyed in previous generations. You feel me? You hear, you, I feel God in this place today. And I just believe that his heart is that he wants to raise people up and remove the misled. You know, I don't want to be a church that's blind leading the blind. I believe that Christians are actually people that see, that help people that can't see. 
And I love the story of Esther. It's so powerful. It's amazing that throughout the, 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 the only, you know, the only quagmire of the book of Esther is that the name of God is not listed in the book of Esther at all. It's one of the only books in the Bible that doesn't even talk about God directly. But even though God's name is not listed there audibly in the pages, his actions, his thoughts, his intents, and his behind-the-scenes dealings are everywhere. He gives King Xerxes a dream that keeps him up all night the morning before Mordecai is supposed to die. He reads about how Mordecai saved his life. Do you know that Mordecai represents the Holy Spirit? What did Mordecai do to Esther? He trained and raised Esther in the ways that she should go. He was a messenger to Esther. That's what the Holy Spirit is to us today. He was the one that strengthened Esther's resolve and convictions when she wanted to stay seated. He said, look, girl, I'm telling you, God's going to deliver with many or by few, with you or with somebody else. It's time to rise. And I believe that Mordecai represents the role of the Holy Spirit. How do I know this? Because the king himself actually paraded Mordecai on his animal in front of everybody in his robe. Before Jesus left in John 16, he said, it's better that I go. Because if I don't go, I can't sin. I can't parade the Holy Spirit onto the earth. That would usher my people, strengthen my people, train my people. Are you hearing me today? The Holy Spirit's job is to still lead and guide and strengthen and message God's people. I love the story of Esther because it's a rags to riches romance. Some of you women, if this is a TV show today, you'd be glued to the TV. This is a woman in a man's world. And she becomes this queen, even though she's in an exile land. I love the fact that Esther is a type and a shadow of a woman who made a decision to go to the, the, the throne of God boldly, to the, king, the king's throne boldly. I want to tell you today that Esther did a few things, and I believe if we'll do these things, that God will make us Esther stars. Esther means star. How many want to be a star for God? I believe God's stars are like Esther. And what was Esther like? Number one, Esther was, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. (laughs) Number one, Esther was prepared. Do you realize, I love this, that God is into preparation. I believe where preparation meets opportunity, destiny is released. I believe most people miss destiny because they don't prepare themselves before opportunity. It's interesting that we don't know much about the life of Jesus. We have a couple snapshots from his youth. The last one when he was 12 years old. He's 12 years old, and when most 12-year-olds are playing with Legos, playing Xbox, playing golf every day, what do we find about Jesus? He was in the church asking questions and listening to the rabbis. It's almost like God wanted us to know that at an early age, Jesus was preparing himself. One day, my opportunity, my destiny is going to come knocking. I have to be ready. I believe that preparation we find that is, 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 like, is this idea of living with a readiness. Say it with me, live ready. I believe many people, they're like, well, I don't, I'm not going to really do anything great until COVID's over. I'm not going to really, things aren't going to go back to how they should be until after this year's done. I'm telling you that we can't determine when the spotlight comes on us. But we can determine what we do in the shadows while we're getting ready. I believe that you can train yourself in the shadows. I believe every great man and woman of God throughout history, in their moments of time, they were used on Sports Center top 10 plays. There were seasons of preparation before those big moments. Before Moses led three and a half million people for 40 years through a wilderness, he led a, a couple thousand sheep for 40 years through that same wilderness. He probably thought that he missed his, his, his destiny. He was an 80 year old shepherd, no longer a 36 year old prince in Egypt. Good name for a movie. 
Moses was an 80-year-old shepherd that thought he missed his destiny. But what do I know is that God, when he was looking for someone to lead three million crazy people through a Sinai Peninsula, there was no greater candidate than a guy that led, led 3,000 crazy sheep for the last 40 years. Listen to me. What you would consider wasted time, God would consider preparation. God does not waste pain. He doesn't waste tragedies. He doesn't waste divorces. He doesn't waste bankruptcies. I promise you that God can use anything to get you ready for his future he has for you. God is a God that wants us to be prepared. God spent 40 years preparing Moses. He spent 17 years preparing Joseph, about 20 years preparing David. He spent about 22 years preparing the apostle Paul. And I want you to know that if you want to do great things for God, you have to embrace the season of preparation. Preparation stinks, doesn't it? I hate practice. Let's just play games. But you know this by watching the NBA this year. If you don't practice, it's like watching op open gym. It's sloppy. It's disorganized. It's out of rhythm. I believe that God is looking for people like Esther that would get themselves ready before their moment shows up. How do I know she was ready? Well, first of all, the king picked her, so she must have been in shape. Can I get an amen? Wasn't, she wasn't just in shape. She was wise. How do you know she was wise? Because she said things like, it says things in the Bible like, that the, the, the head eunuch favored Esther more than any of the other virgins. It says things like when she had a moment with the king, she didn't dress the way that she wanted to dress. She actually asked somebody that knew the king and said, hey, what do you think the king would like? That's what I'm going to put on. Yeah, right. She was wise enough before her opportunity came because she was willing to be trained by her uncle Mordecai before her moment came to the surface. I believe that if you'll prepare yourself, take care of yourself, become a person of honor, be trustworthy, live obedient before your moment shows up. I'm telling you, man, I had friends that became multimillionaires in the middle of the recession because before the recession hit, they were prepared financially. I had friends that bounced back from divorces because when they were going through the mourning process of divorce, they didn't get bitter and go to the bottle. They went to the Bible and they got into the word and they started praying. If you will prepare yourself in down seasons, this is a word for somebody today. Stop waiting for the next season to get ready. This is the time to get ready right now. I believe as fast as this plague came into America, it's going to leave. I believe as fast as our economy, our government, our nation's been hit, I believe that we're going to bounce back even faster. Less optimistic. I'd rather be optimistic than pessimistic. Because listen, a worldview without faith is not honoring to God. Because it says it's impossible to please God without faith. Come on. But I believe it's a good word. Come on. Good preacher. Amen. I'm telling you today that we are, we are a church that wants to be like Esther. Stars are prepared. I love 1 Corinthians 16, 13. You know what it says? The Apostle Paul says this. He says, hey, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. I feel like if we could define most North American Christians this year, especially on social media, it would say something like this, living off guard, standing flabby in the faith, being fearful and timid and worried, being weak. I don't want to live weak. I want to live strong. And I want to tell you today that we need to be prepared because I'm telling you, if we'll let God prepare us in down times, the second thing will happen to us, we, we will be promoted. Write this down. I believe favor lands on the prepared. Favor always finds prepared people. You show me someone that got themselves ready for their opportunity, 
And I'll show you someone that when the spotlight comes on them, they're ready to own that moment. Many times we wait for the spotlight to come on us to stand. If you wait for that moment, it's too late. God wants to develop you in the desert. Many of you know that I was a youth pastor before I moved down here. My wife and I were young adult youth pastors, and I did stuff with business ministries, and I traveled in evangelism. But before any of that stuff, for five years between 18 and 23, you know what I did? I was in Bible college, and I was a janitor at my church. For three years, I was a janitor, regular janitor. For the next two years, I got promoted to be janitor of janitors. Come on. You heard of the king of kings? I was janitor of janitors. And for two years, five years of my life, and I'll be honest with you, that was a, that was a character-forming season. Because all my friends I went to high school with that I played football with, I was better than some of those guys. They were playing at USC. I had friends that I was just as smart of that, that were getting their doctorate's degrees at UCLA, becoming doctors, going to law school. And some of those guys were smarter than me. We'll, we'll admit that. <laughs> but I'll still say this. It was a humiliating thing at times to, that when they said, I'm becoming a lawyer. I'm becoming a doctor. I'm going to the NFL. Hey, Mark, what are you doing in I Iowa? Uh, Illinois? Oh, Idaho. Yeah, we don't, know about, we don't care about the I-States. Um, they said, what, what are you doing in Idaho? I said, oh, I'm a janitor, and I'm actually working at a church. And, um, uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And I'll be really honest. In that moment, I felt like I was going backwards. But I've learned that preparation is kind of like a bow and arrow. That the further that God brings you back, the further he'll shoot you in the future. I believe that God always prepares people before great moments of opportunity. I'm telling you, there's, a, there's five years. No one saw that, but I, I, you know what my job was for five years? I locked the church. My chief responsibility was cleaned, and it was locked every night. So Saturday nights, I would spend Saturday evenings um, locking up our auditorium. We had an 1,100-seat auditorium in our church, and I would go in there at night in the dark because I was a ninja. And you're a janitor. You walk through a dark church at night. You're a ninja. And I walked in that auditorium, and I prayed, and I learned how to hear God's voice. And I would preach, I think some of the best messages I've ever preached was in an empty auditorium in the dark at about 11.30 at night on Saturdays. I remember prophesying over chairs. I, I developed, listen, that's great. I, I remember praying over chairs. The craziest part was there was days, that the next Sunday, the, the, the next morning, whoever was speaking that Sunday, they would pray over the person that was in that chair. And they would pray the same thing that I prayed the night before. And I learned how to hear God's voice in the dark, in a desert, when I was being prepared. And I don't know who you are today, but I want you to know that God does not waste deserts. He'll leverage deserts. Favor finds you when you prepare yourself. And when favor finds you, the second thing happens, you'll be promoted. She was promoted to queen. How long did it take? So say with me, one day. I want to tell you right now that God can promote you in one day. I'm telling you that things can change in your marriage in one day. Things can change in your family. Listen to me. One day. This is like self-help. No, this is called something way better. It's called God help. And when God gets involved in the details of your family, things can change suddenly. I love, do a study on suddenly in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit did not come slowly. He came suddenly. And he came violently. And he came loudly. He came disruptively. And he changed things momentarily. And I, I don't know who you are today, but I want to encourage you that things can change. And here's what I love about Esther. You know what she teaches us? She teaches us that we can be promoted even when we're in exile. You know what Esther's story teaches us? That God can elevate us even when we're in captivity. Ask Daniel. Ask Joseph. Ask Esther. Stop asking your friends. Stop asking Job's homies if God can bless you in down seasons. 
I want you to know that God does not need America to be blessed right now to bless you. You don't need to have a great president for God to do great things in your life. Are you hearing me today? You don't need to have a great job for God to take care of you in a great way. You don't need everything to be great in your life for God to do something great in your family. Can I get an amen in here today? And I want to push, praise the Lord, power of God right there. First time my iPad got slain in the spirit, probably not the last. I love this, that it's so, it's so amazing to me that, that she's promoted in one day. And I, just, I, I really felt, I was, I was praying this week, that there's Esther's that God is going to raise up to be stars. That this might be the worst moment in your industry. This might be the worst timing of your whole life. Some of you have been more stressed homeschooling your kids and taking back all the jokes about homeschool people <laughs> and parents that you've said in previous years. Your respect level has gone to 12. And some of you, between homeschooling your kids, working at home, and being with everybody nonstop, it's put a stress on you, a strain on you that you have never known in your entire life. And I just really felt that I was praying that God said, I can actually elevate you even in chaotic times. I believe our church is a type and a shadow of this. In, in a window of time where some churches are closing down, laying off their staff, not meeting anymore, and I'm not, I'm not in any way saying that we're better or we're worse. I'm just saying it's been uncanny how God has favored Ocean's Church. We moved out of our building and we grew dramatically. And there's been a favor. And listen, I believe this is a prophetic picture of what God wants to do in all of your lives. That when things are at its worst, God can still be at his best. Can we get an amen if you believe that? You could be in a weird year and see God still do great things. Rashawn and I were, we were jogging the other night and uh, she was, we were talking about this year and I said, man, I'm just, I'm so looking forward to this, you know, oh, just being done. And I'm so, I'm just over it. And she goes, Mark, you need to be careful. She goes, God has been kinder to us in this season than he has ever been in months and in years prior with the church. And I just believe, listen to me, God can bless you and make you fruitful even in famines. That is the story. You read about guys like Abraham that sowed in years of famine, Isaac and Jacob that reap bountifully. I, I believe we serve a God that can bless us even when the world is not in that place. What happens when you're promoted? You'll get positions. Write this down, number three. And listen, I'm not talking about just big positions like president. And by the way, I don't know anyone that wants the job of president. Can we all agree on that? Every morning you woke up in the, in the Oval Office. Well, you don't sleep in the Oval Office, I guess. Sharing my, my, large, my large understanding of the White House inner workings here. But I don't know why you want to be the president. Every morning you're getting woke up with this, this statement, problems. More Problems. It's the greeting every morning for the president. I want you to know that you don't have to be a president to do something great. I actually believe that God can position you in a Starbucks. He can position you in an In-N-Out Burger. He can position you in a classroom. He can position you in a gym. He can position you in a boardroom as a CEO, a CFO. I don't care who you are, stay-at-home mom or dad. I believe that when you prepare yourself, God will promote you. And when God promotes you, mark my words, he will give you a position. Here's what's important about positions. Most people get to their dream jobs and they get to where they want to be in life and they're empty. And here's the number one reason why you can reach your dream and still be empty. Are you ready? Yeah. The number one reason why you can be empty if you achieve your dreams is because you got to the dream and you thought the position was just for you. I want to remind the whole world today that God does not give positions just for us. Esther realized in this moment that God made me queen not so I could have a lush life, 
and spend six months and 12 months in the spa. But God gave me this position because there was going to be a people that needed my voice. I love what it says in Job. It's one of my favorite verses right now. It's so powerful. Job, Job talks about in, a, if I can find it here, uh, Job 29, 15 says, Lord, you know why Job was so blessed? This was his prayer. He said, he said, Lord, the wealthiest man in the history probably of his time. He said, Lord, make me eyes to the blind. Make me feet to the lame. And make me a father to the poor. Do you know why God used Job in such a marvelous way? It's because he said, God, give me such good eyesight that I can actually give guidance to all my blind friends. Give me such a strong back and strong legs that I can carry my spiritually paraplegic friends. And God, give me such a father's wealth that I can care for the poor in my city. I promise you, if you will let God weaponize your position, weaponize your job for his love and for his kingdom, I promise you that God will keep elevating you. He's looking for stars that will use their positions for God. Well, no, separation of church and state. Do you know that we're so ignorant with our history? Do you know what church and state was about? It was not about keeping Christians out of the state. It was about keeping the state out of the church. That was the origins of the writing of church and state. When we throw it around, we got to don't talk about Jesus in school or classrooms or public places. Church and state. Church and state. I want to remind America, this was originally a Christian nation. Jensen Franklin said it best this way. He said... He said, Christianity will survive without America, but America will not survive without Christianity. What made this Christian nation great is our faith. And we have separation of church and state, not to keep us out, but to keep the state out of us. Are you hearing me today? And I want to remind America today that there is a war at play, and God is looking for people to say, you know what? I'm not Christian on Sundays and just a businessman on Monday. You are a Christian every day of your life. We don't turn off being a son of God. I don't turn off being a daughter of God. I don't turn on and turn off loving people, caring for people, praying for my employees. I don't care if you're in the public sector or in the spiritual sector. You're a son of God. Can I get an amen in here? And I want to come against it because it was trained in our schools by a bunch of godless professors in our universities. Yeah, where did you get that worldview? It wasn't from the Bible. It was from your godless university. But I want to remind you that if it's not in this book, I'm not interested in it. God wants you to invade your workplace with the love of Jesus. Can I get an amen? He wants you to love people that are unlovable, to love your neighbor the way that you love yourself, to care for people, to buy a breakfast burrito for the homeless guy on the side of the street, to make a difference in the small settings and the big settings. And I believe if we'll do that, we'll stand for God. He'll keep promoting us to higher offices and higher positions. I believe not only will we occupy Supreme Court seats and occupy judge seats and occupy seats of government and politics and, and CEOs and executives, God is looking for the next generation of entrepreneurs, the next CEOs that would say, you know what, look, I love Jesus and I'm going to create creative things. Can I ask you a question? If God is the creator of everything, why would we think that we as Christians would be less creative? Why are you letting people like Steve Jobs sit at the forefront, the Elon Musk, that don't talk to Jesus every day? Why would we let them be the most creative people on the earth? If you have a phone that accesses the throne room of God, you have a creative edge. 14 people believe it, but my mom's here. She's clapping for me. 
I believe that Jesus is looking for people that will say, God, make me creative so I have a position to make a difference in my day. Stop being scared. Stop being sheepish. God always goes with those that go. God stands with those that stand. God does with those that do. And many times we're complaining about the absence of power and change and transformation, and it's our absence of involvement. God, if you prepare me, I'll be a star. I'll be an Esther. God, if you'll promote me, I'll be a star. I'll be an Esther. God, if you'll give me a position, I will lead from this position. God, I'll raise other people up. I won't be in this position to be greedy, but I'll be generous. Lord, make us eyes to the blind. Make us legs to the, to the lame. Make us, make us a father to the poor for such a time as this. Throughout history, I'm sorry, I'm getting fired. I got to settle down, man. I'm black out up here. Do you know the end of Samson's life? What did he say? He said, Put, let me fill the pillars. I believe in this window, this crazy year, you know what God's looking for? He's looking for some Samsons that he can strategically place in the pillars of society. Make more of a difference in the craziest year, the craziest time. Samson did more at the end of his life than he did in the beginning of it. And I believe some of you right now, you can actually, your, your hands are on, I can feel it right now. Some of you, your hands are on the pillars of entertainment. Some of you, God is raising up your hands are on the pillars of the business world. People like Rebecca, and I have friends in this room all over this tent. God has put your hands on, come on, Shane, your, your hands are on the pillars of sports and on the pillars of, of education, Leslie. And God is positioning us with our hands to actually be able to fill the pillars that need to come down in our society. Listen, I'm not talking about destroying things. I'm talking about building God's things up. And God has prepared you, positioned you, like Esther, for this type of window in history. And I'll tell you this, what do you do with positions? Good question. Thanks for asking it. I'll wrap this up. Stace can come up on the keys. I'm almost finished. What do you do when you realize that God gave me this platform? God gave me the strength. Write this down. Strength is never about status. I'll say it twice because we're in Orange County. Strength is never about status. Strength in God's kingdom is always about service. And the reason why some of you are empty is because the only person you're serving is yourself. yourself. And the only person you're blessing is you and your last name and the people that are in your home. You want life to have meaning? Then start using your means to make a difference. Start using your gifts. I dare you to use your time. If you're a really good musician, use it for God. If you're a really good organizer, use it for God. Start using your time. Start using your talents. And I even dare you to start using your money. Invest into the church. I want to come against that demonic lie that thinks it's cool to give $500 million to a, to a performing arts studio at USC, but think it's crazy to give 50 bucks to a church. Why are we cool with endowments to schools for football facilities? I want to know, Orange County, can I ask you an honest question? Where are the billionaires that are helping support the church? Where are they at? So I see them at universities funding Yale, and I see them funding Harvard, and I see them funding the football program at Oklahoma. Where are the billionaires that say, you know, we're going to build the most phenomenal facility that Orange County has ever seen? I'm calling to attention. I would like to serve even a notice today that this church will have people that have large means that go, Jerry Jones does not belong to have the nicest facility in Texas. It should be the church. We have the greatest message. 
We have the greatest, come on, the news, the greatest news on the earth belongs to us. And if we have the greatest news, we should have the greatest crowds. Can I give, can I shatter another lie? Why are you cool with 50,000 people showing up to a football game that entertains for two hours, but you're weirded out by 2,000 people showing up to a church on Sunday? I don't like big churches. Why, why don't you like big churches? As far as I'm concerned, if people are going to hell in your city, no church is too big. If people are going to hell in your city, there is not one church that's too big. And I'll, I'll prove it to you right now. Why is it if you grow up, grow up in a town of 10,000, it's a small town? Who grew up in a small town, 10,000 or less? Say it with me, it's small. Did you know everybody there? Come on, Jason, you knew everybody, right? Your dad was a mailman, the police officer, and the school teacher, and the veterinarian. It's a small town. So why is it 10,000 in a town is small, but 10,000 in a church is big? I know everybody in my town, but I don't, I don't know anybody in my church. Could I suggest to you that there was a lie fabricated in hell that tried to keep church, churches small and the mindset of churches small? Because I'll tell you, the churches are like hospital. Hospitals, the bigger they get, the more needs they can make, they can meet. The bigger a church gets, the more needs. You go to a big hospital, they have cancer centers, cardiologists, uh, cardiologists they have uh, neuroscientists. They, the larger the hospital, the more needs they can meet. And the bigger this church gets, I'm not saying we're here to have a big church, but we are here to make a big difference. If that means growing every week like we are, we will make a big difference. What do you do with, are you with me still? Positions. This is what we do. Like Esther, what does she teach us? Stars in God's kingdom. Lastly, they use their positions to offer petitions. Petitions. Say it with me, petitions. You know what a petition is? It's a request. You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, that as believers, we're supposed to come boldly to the throne of grace, that we might obtain grace to receive mercy and find help in our time of need. How many would, how, how many would qualify 2020 as a time of need? Four honest people in Orange County, if you're watching online right now, there's four hands up. Come on, 2020 is a time of need. So what are we supposed to do in times of need? Come boldly. Where? The throne of the king. You know what Esther shows us? She goes, look, I might lose my life, but I would rather lose my life for my convictions, trying to help other people, than to die safe in my palace. I believe God's asking Orange County to keep risking, to keep standing, to keep building, to keep growing, to keep going, keep doing. Are you hearing me today? I believe God is looking for people that will petition, that will pray. I think we gotta make bold requests to the king. Can we stop cursing California? Can we stop speaking curse words over people in leadership? God's even convicted my wife and I'm like, you know what? I can't keep speaking negatively about people in our office. I can't speak bad about politicians, church leaders. I can't talk bad about people in my city. Listen to me, God will bless what you bless. So I've been, I've been praying prayers of blessing over my president. I've been praying prayers of blessing over my governor. I've been praying prayers of blessing over our, our state. Are you hearing me today? Let's stop cursing America. America's gonna go to hell in November. No, it's not. I know who's on the throne. And when, when the right person's on the throne, it doesn't matter who's in the White House. God is gonna rule, he's gonna reign. And if you believe it, come on, give him a hand clap and a shout. How do you pray, Mark? Well, good question. Esther prayed with her royal robes. I think that we pray confident prayers 
when we realize that God sees us as he sees Jesus. Do you know why you pray sheepish prayers to God? Because you think that God only sees you. And he sees the mistakes that you made, the way you talked to your spouse, the way you weren't good in that moment, the way you slipped up. Listen, if you think you pray with your goodness, you'll pray sheep prayers. But if you realize that we enter into the presence of God by the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, God doesn't see our righteousness. He sees His righteousness. You know what happens? It's the same thing that happened to Esther in Esther 5.1, that we put on our royal robes. You know why the king acknowledged Esther? Because she was wearing her royal robes. You know what God's going to answer? He's going to answer prayers that we prayer, that we pray when we're standing in the righteousness of Jesus. I know America's sinned. I know that we've killed a lot of children. I know there's a lot of innocent blood on our hands. But I also know that where sin abounds, the Bible says grace abounds even more. I believe in a God that actually is rich in mercy, that when we would deserve judgment, He offers us mercy. I believe that He doesn't see our blood. When we ask Him into our life, He sees the blood of Jesus covering our lives. I don't know what your past is like, but I know this. I know God is rich in forgiveness. He's rich in mercy. Do you believe that today? And listen, I believe that God wants to forgive America. I believe that God wants to heal our land. And I believe that America, listen, the world needs America to win. I'm going to say it to the back. People always talk about how crappy this nation is. I'm sorry, I'm getting fired up. But if, if you want to know how, how awful America is, just go somewhere else in the world. I've traveled to, to, to almost, I've traveled to probably half the nations of the earth the last 20 years. And every time I come back to America, I'm like, God, this place is not perfect. But there is a foundation here that we can never take for granted. The people that take America for granted the most are usually the ones that have never left it. That'll preach. Sorry, I'm fired up today. Forgive me if I offended you, but I, I want to ask you this, this serious question. Are you willing to let God prepare you, promote you, position you, so that you can pray some bold prayers, some petitions that would make a difference in our land? You want to be like Esther? We just come on, everyone stand to your feet today. I want to be a star. God, would you use me? God, would you position me? God, would you prepare me? Would you promote me? Would you give me a voice? God, even if I'm just changing the lives of three kids in my home or 12 kids in my elementary school class or maybe the only people I'm making a difference in is my three best friends. God, would you make me an Esther? Would you make me a star? I love it. It says in Philippians 2.14, to do everything without grumbling and arguing. Say it again for 2020. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked 2020 in generation. Watch what he says. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. You know that God wants you to shine like stars? The story of Esther is about Haman getting Mordecai's rope, Mordecai getting Haman's job, Esther getting a good night's sleep, the Jews seeing another good day, we get a dramatic reminder in the story what happens when we approach and trust our king. Millions were saved in 127 nations because of one star named Esther. I wonder who you could impact. I wonder who you could make a difference in the life of. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.